Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed Word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. Everything I give, 
everything I give to withholding, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. Withholding nothing, I surrender all. I surrender all to everything, Lord. Everything I give to I surrender all. I surrender all to everything, Lord. Everything. To withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. Surrender all. I surrender all to you, Lord. Everything, Lord. Everything I give to you. I surrender all. I surrender all to you. Everything, Lord. Everything I give to you. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, holding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, holding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. We hold nothing from you, Lord. Everything that we are, Lord. Yes, Lord. Christ alone. Christ alone. Cornerstone. Weak, made strong. In the same. Weak 
Every hour, every hour. 
His holy name. 
our souls magnify his holy name and not just our souls but with our whole being with our voices with our whole self we magnify your holy name heavenly father we thank you for everything that you do in our lives lord and this evening we just want to come to you with a heart of gratitude lord just saying thank you lord indeed we have come once again before you father we pray that may the ancient words ever so true changing me changing every one of us continue the good work that has begun in us father this we ask in jesus name amen amen are you ready for the word amen oh let's make some noise and welcome reverend gilbert asamwa amen amen hallelujah let us pray thank you heavenly father for drawing us close to your heart for giving us the confidence to come to your throne by the blood of jesus thank you that you are training us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Thank you for the power of your anointing, which is coming upon us to overshadow us so that we can birth out Christ into this world. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank the Lord. We've been studying the seven steps to the anointing. And as I've been emphasizing, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. Amen. Uh, we learn from the Nicene uh, Creed. You know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You know, and His Holy Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's like, you can't, you can't separate the three of them. There is one God, but He has manifested Himself in three persons. Hallelujah. And so when we speak of the anointing, we are not thinking of an object. We are not thinking of an it. Or we are not even thinking of an influence or a feeling. Hallelujah. And it's very important that we understand that we are dealing with a person. And we are dealing with not just any person, but the person of God. So as we go through the steps to the anointing, I hope it, it, it doesn't come like, I mean, small anointing you want to give me, Lord. You want me, you, you want me to go through all these things. No, the reality is that God in the anointing, God is partnering with you. You and God become like um, co-workers or co-laborers. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, how can two work together except they agree? In Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Is that not so? Amos 3, 3 does not say people are not people. <laughs> Amen. As somebody quoted, people are not people. Amos 3, 3. No, that's not what is there. Two cannot work together except they agree. And so, um, we have a few points left under the servanthood. Amen. Of course, the first step was the, what was the first step? The principle of vessel change. And the second step was servanthood under which we are studying 13 signs of a servant. Hallelujah. And um, we, 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 we keep going over it and going over it because that is the one that I think a lot of people trip upon. Amen. People trip upon that because it's not the most glamorous part of the steps. You know? So, um, and as you know, we are now entering into feeding fast to seven season. So chances are that we won't finish this. We will have to, uh, after today, we will have to postpone it until the feeding fast to seven is over. 
Because during feeding five to seven season, every meeting is the book that has been declared as what you use. Weekday meeting, uh, ministry meeting, Sunday meetings. But I believe God would help us. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm just going to go through quickly what we've covered so far. 13 signs of a servant. A servant has a master. Malachi 1.6. Amen. Then number two, a servant is at the beck and call of his master. Matthew 8.9. Okay. And then number three, a servant is one who executes the command of another. Number four, a servant cannot be inconvenienced by any job or task. Number five, a servant does not see himself as equal to his master. That's why we quoted Philippians 2.6. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. All right, next one. A servant carries out the wishes of his master. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. And then we also covered a servant cannot be embarrassed by his job. You cannot be embarrassed if you're a servant. You embrace it as your duty. You do it without feeling embarrassed. Then, next one, a servant does menial jobs, picking up crumbs, serving food, running errands. It comes with the territory. To be a servant, you do menial jobs. Amen. All right. That's where we read John chapter 6, verse 12. When they were filled, Jesus said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And then we also read of Elisha pouring water on Elijah in 2 Kings 3, 11. So, a servant does menial jobs. Next one, a servant promotes his master while he, he, while he stays below. Here's where we, we heard of John the Baptist's example. How he had a powerful ministry in the desert. Highly anointed. Who would build a hotel in the desert? But that's where John the Baptist had his hotel meetings. <laughs> Amen. But he had people following him because of a very heavy anointing. And so, um, that is an example for us. Next one, a servant does not expect thanks or acknowledgement. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Maybe we'll start from there and move forward. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. A servant does not expect thanks or acknowledgement. You see, um, if, if, if you think of it in terms of, and, and, and by the way, we will get to the last point. The last point is that a servant has a reward. You may be wondering, as, as I'm doing all this, am I going to be rewarded? Well, it is a question of a mindset that as we are serving God, we have to have the mind that God is the one going to reward us. And that what you may call the system may not even notice what you are doing. Hallelujah. You know, last few weeks, I went to a graduation party has uh, a graduation party of someone and the person's uncle was at the meeting uh, at the ceremony and he came to sit at our table he began to ask me he has been to our church before, an African American and he began to ask me certain questions that I was not feeling comfortable answering, you know something like, you know, in terms of the remuneration, the reward the church, what you get from the church and things like that and, and because the more I answer, the more he, he's making it seem so terrible. That, is, that, is that what they are doing to you? Do you get it? But I told him that I, I am doing it voluntarily. Nobody forced me. It, it's something that I'm not doing because um, 
He said, oh, so they don't even give you a, a stipend? They don't even give you this? They don't even give you that? But my reward is with God. Hallelujah. You see, if you don't have this mind and you are looking for pay, that is when, that is when you can easily get angry one day because you begin to count how much you have spent. Amen. If you are looking to human beings to pay you back, one day when you get angry, you are going to, you are going to count how much you have given, how much you have spent. And, and, and that is how, you know, you will see that all of a sudden somebody just disappears because they begin to calculate that if I look at my tithe, the tithe I've been paying, you know, like somebody told the pastor, look, I earn too much to pay tithes. Don't ask me for tithe because, because if I was earning like $2,200, that doesn't sound bad. The, the, where my salary level has reached, in fact, don't bring the topic of tithe again. Do you understand? <laughs> Amen. So, um, but if you have a heart of a servant, that actually you are serving God, and you are serving a person who is also serving God. Because you can't see God, but somebody who God has placed before you, you are serving that person. And your mind is not to be rewarded. Amen. Your mind is not to, 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 be, to be paid back. Because the reality is that I can actually not pay you. I mean, the services that you provide, if you are thinking about it very carefully, I cannot pay you even if you are doing minimum wage. I can't afford to pay you. Amen. So, so I hope we have that understanding that ultimately God is the one who will pay you back. Hallelujah. I was um, watching a movie called uh, The Shoes of the Fisherman. It's based on a book written, I believe, in the 60s. And that movie um, is based on the papacy, the Catholic Church and the papacy. Amen. And um, in the movie, somebody became the Pope. An unexpected person became the Pope. And one of the cardinals who was closest to the Pope, you know, one day he came... Somebody, one, one of the priests had died, and, and this cardinal came to the Pope and confessed to him. He didn't confess that he killed him. He confessed to him how he disliked the priest who died. And then his confession was that he said, he said, the reason why I resented this priest was because what I was looking for from you, I didn't get, but I saw that you gave it to him. And then what was that? He said, I was looking for intimacy. I was looking for love. I was looking for appreciation. This man has been a cardinal and he has buried three popes. Like he has served three popes. He's been around for a long time. Do you get it? And so he said, I was looking for intimacy and trust and affection and love, which you gave to this junior priest, but you didn't give to me. And then the priest, the pope also said, I also have a confession to make. He said, the reason why I clung to him and avoided you was because you were constantly opposing me. <laughs> Every decision I'm making, you were opposing me. So after they both confessed, right, <laughs> there, was, there was a transparency and a, a type of a openness and love that began to breathe. By the way, the other priest had died anyway, you know. <laughs> so, so they both needed friends. Amen. But the, the cardinal made a statement that struck with me. You know, he said that he, another reason why he was upset was that he said, I have served the, the church for many years. And he said, I felt I deserved better. But then he said, holiness, I was wrong. He said, no one deserves better. He said, what I deserve is the common wage 
for a laborer in the vineyard. So, so that was the premise of his confession. Because you see, if you've been in a Catholic church, we used to go to confess to a priest. And you, you know, like, you the one making the confession, you know the reason why you're going for the confession. And he, he had come to his senses that how he was feeling was wrong. That, yes, you have said the church, but it is in the name of God. And the moment you begin to expect that something should be done for you that it has been denied you, you can't have a heart of a servant. Because then you're going to withdraw your services. You're going to withdraw your resources because you begin to feel that you are not getting a lot in return for what you are spending. But what we are doing is not just for here and now. If it is for here and now, then it doesn't make sense. In 1 Corinthians 15, Apostle Paul said that if in this life only we have hope, then we are the most miserable of all men. Hallelujah. So a lot of the service that we are giving, we may not be noticed, we may not be acknowledged, but remember... We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Hallelujah. So a servant does not expect thanks or acknowledgement. If you get it, take it as a bonus. Amen. If you get acknowledgement or thanksgiving, take it as a bonus. But if you, that becomes your motive or your motivation or the drive, which determines the extent to which you will serve God and you will serve the man or woman of God, you will see that you will not be at your maximum best. You will not be at the top level. But if you run and run with your full energy and your full strength, not expecting much, even considering that, look, actually I consider myself privileged that I'm doing what I'm doing. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what, how I see myself. I see myself privileged that I can handle the holy sacred things of God. Amen. One day I was traveling at the airport. Uh, I don't know whether I was Amsterdam or where I was. And um, they gave me a special, uh, a special privilege. They didn't let me go through all the harassment because I was wearing my, my, my uh, clergy uh, collar. Do you get it? And then, and then, and then um, I met somebody at the gate and he started calling me father because, because Roman Catholic priests also have the same collar. Do you get it? Hallelujah. I, saw, I see it as a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege God has given me. It's, it's, and in this life, uh, there are many things that money can buy. There are many things also that money cannot buy. Hallelujah. All right. So, servanthood as a path to being anointed. Next one. A servant does what his master wants in the way his master wants it. Amen. A servant does what his master wants in the way his master wants it. So, here's the deal. Sometimes we will do what is required, right? But we will do it in our own way. That's not a servant. In, in other words, you are not serving anybody. You are serving your own self. If you are a true servant, you will do it in the way your master wants it. Look at the Lord Jesus. I mean, the Bible says he became fully man and he was tempted in every way possible. He was tempted in every way possible. You know, one day, Apostle Paul, he got a bit upset with the way they were, he was being treated. He said, look. He said, am I the only one who, who, who doesn't have a right to get a sister after me like uh, Peter and James and the others? When he said a sister, he meant a wife. Do you get it? Like a Christian sister. He, Paul was saying that, look, I have given my, li my life for the work, work, work of God and, and because of the frequent travel and the, the way my life is in danger, I didn't want to put anyone's life you know, in anxiety. So I choose not to marry. But one day, some people provoked him to the extent that he fell at lock. Me too, I deserve to have married like Peter and James. After all, we are all apostles. 
Do you get it? Now, think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think there were not girls which were interested in him? There were girls which were interested in him. I, I, I mean, um, people feel that I read a book written by, um, it's one of those books which are not the Bible, but other people, not even that one. This one was supposedly written by, by Pharisees. You know, uh, what's the title? It's, it's, a, it's available on Amazon, I think. I'm trying to remember the title. Like, like pe- contemporaries of Jesus who wrote about Jesus and his life, but not the biblical account. And, and this one is, people were interviewed. Like, some people went to interview Martha and, and uh, sister of Lazarus. You know, Martha and, and, and Mary and, and Lazarus. People went to interview them. People went to Nazareth to interview people who grew up with Jesus. And in the interview, you know, it looks like, it looks like uh, um, um, Mary and Martha, you know, I think one of them was interested in Jesus. And Lazarus was not happy with how Jesus treated his, <laughs> his sisters. I don't know whether that is what really happened, but it could happen. Do you get it? It could happen. So what I'm saying is that, why didn't Jesus marry? Because his father told him not to marry. That you came for this purpose. Amen. Because after all, if you want me to die on the cross, I will die on the cross. But what is wrong with uh, marrying, having a wife too? Amen. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be the first, um, how do you call it, follower of God or prophet to have served God and have been killed and, and left a child uh, or left a, a widow. Do you get it? He had all kinds of invitations, and, uh, but he had to tell my, himself that, look, my father doesn't want me to do it this way. Hallelujah. And also, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed a prayer, that Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass by me. It means that part of him wanted to do the Father's will, right? But he was, part of him felt like, if only we could do it this way, that would have been nice. But then he prefaced or he surfaced his statement by saying that, nevertheless, not my will, but that will be done. So, in other words, he's willing to do the Father's will in the way the Father wants it. Hallelujah. If you look at, um, there's a scripture in, uh, um, let's try Hebrews 10 and 12. Let's see. There's a scripture in Hebrews 10 and verse 7. Hebrews 10 and verse 7. If that's the one. Which is actually being quoted from the Psalms. Hebrews 10, 7. Okay, can we start from, uh, maybe from verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that is when Jesus came into the world, you can switch to, it's okay, you can switch to uh, New King James. When, when the Son of God came, was coming to the world, he, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. So in other words, God was not so much interested in sacrifice and offering as in the way the Old Testament order was. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. You have prepared a body for me. What's the body for? Because the body is going to be now needed to sacrifice. Hallelujah. But the sacrifice of animals was no, God was, was no longer interested in that. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Okay? Then I said, this is Jesus speaking. He's quoting from Psalms. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So look at this very carefully. This, this, this scripture also reveals 
that every person that is born, as you give your life to Christ, there's a volume of a book about your life in heaven. A prescription of what you are supposed to do. Amen. And so he said, I have come. I have come means, yes, I want to be your servant. Right? But what type of servant is he going to be? In the volume of the book, it is written of me. That what is prescribed for me exactly is what I'm going to do. He says, to do your will, O God. Amen. Sometimes, some of the ways that the person you are serving may want some things done may not be the way you would like to have it done. Hallelujah. Your duty is to pray for the person. Of course, there are some things, if the person is asking you for your opinion or is discussing with you, there are some things that is flexible and negotiable. Hallelujah. I actually, I actually encourage my kids, some, some, some of them, you know, sometimes when I say something, they will say, oh, Dad, how about this? I actually encourage that because they need to be trained how to also negotiate. It's part of life. Do you get it? So that when somebody is asking something, you know, if you, if you are able to negotiate, sometimes you can get something better. But there are certain things also that is not negotiable. That is the way it is. And, and then a person must be able to tell the difference between the ones that are, this is the way I want it done, and this is the way, or, or, or in this particular instance, you, 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 can, you, can, you can say, okay, we can do it this way or that way. Hallelujah. Now, if you don't know that difference, you're going to run into problems all the time. Hallelujah. And so, this, this is what Saul ran into. This is the very problem Saul ran into. King Saul in the Old Testament. Let's look at 1 Samuel 15. And starting from verse 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 15. King Saul lost the kingdom because he had his own mind as to what should be done. Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites. So, you see, here is where Samuel appeared at the scene of the war with the Amalekites. And the instruction was, destroy everything. Amen. God Almighty is saying, destroy everything. And then Saul is showing kindness. One God Almighty is not wanting to show kindness. See, here's the deal. Who invented kindness? God invented kindness and love. And he said, in this war, I don't want any, uh, have you heard uh, a situation where you're watching a movie and then the, the villain, he tells his generals, I want no prisoners. It means kill everyone. <laughs> Do you get it? So God said, destroy everyone. Look, there is all kinds of theories explaining that. But that's not what tonight is about. Why God will have him kill everyone. Now Saul decided to bring not only the king, but also brought, brought some of the sheep. Okay? And so he says, they have brought them from, he said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is Saul speaking to Samuel. Do you get it? And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So, you're supposed to destroy everything, but he said they, 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 that some of the sheep, because remember, the instruction given to Moses was that animals for sacrifice were supposed to be the best. You can't bring one uh, a sheep that is lame or uh, one bl blind uh, goat for uh, sacrifice. Amen. So you could say that he has good intentions. That look, as we kept on killing the sheep, we found some that actually looked like the type you would like. The type you would like, you like this for sacrifices. How, why should we just waste it? You see, but the instruction has come. Kill everything. But now, you are now prescribing to God what he wants. 
Amen. And so that's how the whole thing develops. Verse 16. Then someone said to Saul, Be quiet. And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. <laughs> so someone said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? So so you saw you started very humble. You were little in your own eyes. But now you feel puffed up. You feel like you know enough, and now you are telling God what to do. You feel like it, it, this is one of the this is one of the it may seem very harsh for us, but some of these things are written for our learning. Do you get it? That there are some things God will not bend on. And so, next verse. So, so now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to someone, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He said, He began to even argue. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. See, David didn't do that. As soon as Nathan let David know that it was him, David was okay, you know what? I have sinned. But Saul was arguing back and forth, trying to defend himself. All right? But the people, look at it. I wanted to do everything, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But you are the king. If the people brought this, you said, look, God, the Lord said we should destroy them. But you see, he was shifting the blame. You get it. It may be that he was swayed by the people. That is what often happens. That sometimes we know the right way, but we are swayed by the people. So he said, I, I intended to do right, but I was swayed by the people. Then the next verse, verse 22. So someone said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Hallelujah. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So when Jesus was quoting in Hebrews 10, 7, he said, Sacrifices and this thing you have not delighted in. It's not all the time that God needs a sacrifice from us. Amen. Sometimes what is needed is a simple obedience. And the simple obedience may even be easier than the sacrifice. But if our mind is said that unless we do this, God is not happy with us. Or in our own mind, this is what is best to please the Lord. Hallelujah. So now we are learning that when it comes to servanthood, you do things the way the person wants it. Not the way you think he will like it. Like Bishop was saying, somebody was telling a person that, I think you like chicken. Look, you saw me eat chicken five years ago in a restaurant. That's what, that's what uh, if I remember correctly, there was an incident. I don't know which senior minister it was. That somebody met the person at the restaurant. You get it. Eating chicken. And then years later, was prescribing to somebody else when the person was going to cook for the person. Now this person likes chicken, but I prepare chicken for them. But five years ago, he liked chicken. Maybe today he's Labrador Kweku. Who doesn't eat chicken? Do you get it? I don't know whether Kweku has ever ate chicken before. Maybe he has. So, the before Kweku and the after Kweku, how do, can you tell? You cannot. You can say, say, the person said, I don't like chicken. And now you are saying, oh, but I saw you eating chicken at the restaurant the other day. No, just do it exactly as they are saying it. Hallelujah. All right. We thank the Lord. 
when we le- when we can learn from the the narrative of the Bible is that sometimes little little things matter. Hallelujah. Okay. A servant ministers to his master of his substance. This is Luke chapter eight. And certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Madeline, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Hallelujah. So one of the things a servant does, a servant ministers gifts to the, to the, to the master. Hallelujah. This is Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And one of the things... One of the things that sometimes happens is that people make presumptions, right? People make presumptions like, like uh, somebody one time gave um, a gift of, a, I think, a shirt to me, right? And the size was too small. And um, I think my wife tried to talk to the person. That I think that was not the first time. Okay. That was not, I mean, thankfully the person's image of me is like, you know, this thing, brother. <laughs> Amen. You see, some of these things somebody has to teach you. There are certain things you don't give to a man of God. If you have a, a female a, a woman preacher and you go and buy a, a how do you call it, bra for the person, what do you what message are you trying to give? <laughs> or underwear or or, or, or even shoes. No. Give money and let the person use it to buy what they want. So this person, eh, I think the person had done it. A few, and you see, it's not nice that somebody has given you a gift. Then you also take it and give it to another person. But my wife felt like, oh, this thing, eh, it's kind of bad that, you know, she's, she spent money but you can't use it. D- do you get it? So, so she decided to approach the person and say, you know, um, she didn't even say, no, next time give money. That's not what she said. She said, she said okay, um, I think she said, like, the, the, the size was small. And the person got upset. person got really upset. That she, I mean, she felt like she was trying to help the person that, um, the size. Because you see, sometimes when somebody buys something for you, and then you never wear it, that one too, it, it, it's like, it becomes an issue that they've been watching and watching and watching and watching. You've never worn that thing. Amen. You can't buy a socks for uh, an anointed person. You don't know the type of socks he likes. Amen. So, you see, it is also not based on need, right? It's not based on need. Like Bishop, he talks about the first love people. He said, all of you, when people are traveling to go and study abroad, Bishop sometimes gives them money. His church members. But then he also has to teach them the the spiritual principle of sowing into an anointed person. Hallelujah. Even if it is two Ghana cities, sow it. But don't think that I like kebab because I've been preaching about kebab the last week. So now you have to go and buy me kebabs to eat. I may not be feeling like kebab today. Are you getting the message? Hmm. All right. Spiritual ministrations. Spiritual ministrations can also impart the anointing. Hallelujah. Bishop Dax said, you see, everything we are talking about, Bishop Dax has done it. And he gives the good examples as well as the ugly examples. He said he went to uh, Papa Hagen's uh, um, camp meeting. And he felt like he should go and give 
an offering because he has been listening to the man's tips and he has received an impartation of the anointing. It was 30, was it 30 years ago when Bishop received an impartation of the anointing at Suhum? 1988, it's 30 years ago. It's a, it was actually June, only I don't know which date in June, but it's exactly 30 years ago. So he said, when, when he was traveling from Ghana, he had some money. Of course, Ghanaian currency changed into dollars. It may not be much, but it was what he could afford. And he intended to go and sow it as a seed because these types of ministrations have a spiritual significance. Hallelujah. So, he said when he, they went into the meeting, Papa Hagen started giving a testimony of how the Lord has blessed him and mentioning amounts and how, how much his tithe was the previous year. And Bishop started thinking that if that much was his tithe, then his income is like that times 10. Do you get it? What is what I have before this man? I mean, I'm not going to waste my time to go and give this amount. He doesn't actually need this money. So he was going to take his money back to Ghana. Then he said he went to his hotel room, and the Holy Spirit came very strongly to give him a strong warning. Then the Lord told him that you are nothing without this man. Everything that you have is from this man. The gift of God came upon you from this man. And it is not about need that the man has so much money so you shouldn't give. You better do it quickly before something bad happens to you. So the next day, he said he saw Kenneth Jr., Kenneth, Kenneth uh, Hagan, his son, who is also called Kenneth Hagan. He saw him the whole way, so I have something for, for your father. And then he said, okay, I would, um, actually he gave it to him to give to his father. And then I think the next day, the man met him. He said, oh, my father would like to meet you. And then he said, that is, that is his only chance. To, he was called into an inner room where nobody is allowed there. And then the old man, he said that one thing I remember, his hands were very soft. He shook his hands. He said, God bless you. That's it. Hallelujah. Are you with me? These little, little things have significance. So a servant ministers to his master of his substance. All right. Final point, a servant has a reward. Philippians 2 and 9. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. So as we are serving, remember, God is watching. There is a reason why in the vision of Ezekiel, right? In Ezekiel chapter 1, he saw these um, four living creatures. And then the Bible said that they were riding on these wheels, right? And it said that these wheels were like a wheel within a wheel. But there was something said about the wheel. It said that they were, had eyes all over them. Now, these eyes are metaphoric, descriptive of the all-seeing eye of God. Are you there? So that everywhere the spirit was to go, the wheels were going. The move of God is following the wheels. Hallelujah. So also, the eyes of God are moving to and fro in all the earth to show himself mighty in the, in the, on the behalf of the ones whose hearts are turned towards him. So then, whatever you are doing, please, it will never be wasted. A servant will have a reward. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Despite the shame. Sometimes the errands you be sent on, some of it may feel like you are a little child. You go and you come and say, okay, go again. Go and ask this person, uh, this thing that you are selling, reduce the price. Then you come back and say, okay, go and ask again. You have to despise the shame because you know that there is a reward ahead of you. Amen. As we close, let me, let me um, emphasize that, you see, this servanthood thing, it is actually the nature of the Godhead. Amen. If you look at the scriptures very carefully, that the life of serving one another and the life of, of, of um, making yourself a nobody so that another will have honor, that actually is the way they relate with each other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that not so? If you listen to the teachings of Jesus, he was always giving credit to the Father. He was always saying that, I, I, I cannot say anything except what I, I hear the Father say. Look at John 5, 19. He said the Son can, can say nothing except what he hears the Father say. So that Jesus was always praising the Father. Jesus answered and said, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. That type of deferring to another was a lifestyle among the, the Holy Trinity. Amen. Because that is what community is about. Community is, how is it that societies have been able to survive because of love, fellowship, and community? And serving one another is not a demotion because God himself has demonstrated to us that that is how they relate with each other. Hallelujah. If you look at this other scripture, um, John chapter 15 verse 26, the Holy Spirit, Jesus one day he was speaking, he said, look, you can blaspheme against the Father and you can blaspheme against the Son and you'll be forgiven. Do you remember that scripture? But then he said that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, what will happen? He said you will not be forgiven. Which means the Holy Spirit is what? In terms of importance. Based on that verse alone, the Holy Spirit is, where, where is his importance? Very, very high. However, look at what he's doing here. When the helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So Holy Spirit, the one who you cannot play around, if you play small, you, you'll be killed. You will not be forgiven. On the other hand, he is also testifying of Jesus. Like, he doesn't come to promote himself. Do you get it? This is the nature among the Godhead. They are always promoting one another. Are you there? Look at um, John chapter 16 and verse 3. Another revelation about the Holy Spirit. Okay. No, verse 13, sorry. John 16, verse 13. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. Jesus is speaking. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. This is the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ could not have been conceived without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? It is the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary and caused the word to become flesh in her womb. So Jesus, in effect, you could say was birthed by the Holy Spirit. But now, when the Holy Spirit has come, he is not going to speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So as powerful as the Holy Spirit is, he comes to testify of Jesus. He comes to testify of the word of God. He comes to exalt Jesus. He makes himself like a servant. Hallelujah. One thing that you can use to describe the Holy Spirit is Eleazar. 
the servant of Abraham. I believe I've taught that on a weekday before. How Eliezer was sent by Abraham to go and get a bride for his son Isaac. So in that, in that prophetic narrative, Abraham is God the father. Do you get it? Isaac is Jesus Christ. Now Isaac needs a bride, but the bride is somewhere else. And in order to get the bride, he had to send the servant, Eliezer of Damascus, who went there with goods to go and bring the bride. This is the same prophetic course that the Christian experience is happening, that we are the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit has come, toiling and working on us to get us ready for Christ, our bridegroom. And every person, like Eliezer of Damascus, he's selfless. He's not doing it for his own interest. What is he going to get? It is Isaac who is going to get a bride. But he's a servant. Serving the interest of the master's son. Hallelujah. Finally, let's look at this scripture. John chapter 5 verse 22. And then we will close from there. That as we talk about servanthood, know that this is something practiced even in the Godhead. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. So even when it comes to authority and judgment, the God Almighty is in charge of everything. But he doesn't, he's not intimidated or he's not insecure. He said, my son, you have all the power to judge. That also tells you how he has deferred to the son to rule and to judge. Put your hands together unto the Lord as we rise up and bring the Lord an offering. Father, we give you thanks for your love for us. Thank you for looking upon us with favor. We pray for the grace of servanthood, even to imitate the blessed Holy Trinity who serve one another in community and love and in holiness, in purity of heart. May we learn even to serve, not with a mind to get accolade or to praise, to, or to be praised, but that as we serve, it is just unavoidable, it's inevitable that you would anoint us, you would reward us. In the name of Jesus, we bring our offerings to you. Bless them. Multiply it. That your name will be installed in the earth. That the glory of God will cross from land to land and cross the seas to all the places that are yet to be touched by the gospel. In the name of Jesus. Amen.